You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. And I'm Michael Pincus from... I was, gonna, <laughs> I was actually going to say AndreBrew. Oh, jeez. It's been a long day, hey? I haven't had that much to drink. I'm Michael Pingus from MichaelPinguswineReview.com. Unbelievable. <laughs> now I'm taking on your persona. <laughs> no kidding. Um, we're actually here to kick off the third of our uh, special series of uh, Legacy podcasts. Yes, this one's this one's really exciting because we actually went uh, on location, both of us, yes. for this one. Yes, First from time the, we've done uh, that. From the second story of uh, Chateau des Charmes. Yeah, and we talked to Paul Bosk Sr., and if I'm not mistaken, we got a little bit of Paul Boss Jr. in there too. Yeah, and you know what? I think my biggest takeaway as, as someone who is still uh, exploring the wide world of, of Ontario wine is uh, I didn't realize how much influence Paul Boss Jr. had with Chateau des Charmes. So expect him in an upcoming legacy podcast a little bit down the road to get his two cents. And a great wine historian for Ontario too. Absolutely. Uh, so without further ado, uh, the man who invented Gamay Duat. Yeah, or at least brought it here. No, well brought it, but I mean it grew on his property, you yeah. know, kind of an accidental growing. Well, without further ado, Paul Boss Sr. Okay, where are we at? Oh, well, <laughs> you know what? It's, it's the question I've been asking everyone uh, with when you got started, because you had no, no really frame of, of reference when you decided to start working with Venefra in Ontario. But what were you thinking? Well, um, when I, I was at... Um, at Shadow Gay, that's where I started working, but on uh, vinifera's. But everybody was telling me you you can't uh, you can't uh, do it uh, because um, you would have a winter kill, and uh, you'll have the um, disease, uh, mildew, oidium, uh, all kinds of disease which will kill the vines. Then I went to kill, I accept, you know, but disease, uh, I've been in another country and the climate didn't seem to be that much difference in, uh, from the spring to, to, uh, to the fall. See why well, those guys don't, don't, don't spray? I mean, that is something you control. So, in the back of the winery at uh, Shadow Gay, I had, um, I was given some uh, uh, different vinifera's from um, Dr. Baker from, uh, from Germany. And I, I grew them there among with uh, Chardonnay and, and Riesling and uh, they grew quite quite um, quite well, so I asked um, Chardonnay if they could ask their farmer to to put uh, you know one acre here, one acre there, and just to see. And I would advise them what uh, what to do, and we ended up with. Um, maybe 50 tons of uh, vinifera is what we never had. But it wasn't really the, the solution because people were still still reluctant. And um, that's where um, um, I decided to, to go on my own. I, I could see that um, uh, with those farmers, it'd be too hard to convince them, and then even the managers of Shadow Gay, they were not really interested, you know. Uh, we were making uh, Imperial Sherry and, and uh, some of those things, which was more, more, more profitable, you know. 50% uh, water and sugar and... Uh, well, okay, so, so, so what's your background in wine, though? Like, you had this job at Chateau Gay. I'm sure they were paying you well enough if you were taking not, care of... Not, not, I was happy with my pay. Yeah. But uh, I was an immigrant, so uh, I, um, you know, I was happy. I mean, I, I came here, and a year later, I got this job, and... and I got a pay that uh, uh, nobody else had, 
But your story about coming here is pretty interesting too. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's another uh, another story, uh, which we could talk now. Hey, go for yeah, it, please yeah. tell us. As I find it a very uh, fascinating, I've, yeah. I've talked to you about this before, and and I find it a fascinating well, uh, story. Like, um, I want you gonna re reshape this eventually. Or? We'll edit it. There'll be yeah. things that'll be edited. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was born in. Um, in Algeria, my um, ancestry goes right back to uh, to France. As a matter of fact, we trace it back to uh, uh, 1080. Would you believe? 1080. Well, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, my um, those ancestors, they were knights and. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. This I show is also brought to you by Ancestral.com. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, one one of them uh, uh, was uh, Marshal of France under uh, Louis uh, Louis Nine uh, Saint Louis uh, that Louis Nine I think. Okay. Uh, and uh, so it it was a long long connection to France, but I was the fifth generation and. In Algeria, so uh, yeah, we used to go to France, and uh, I went to school. I went to the military. I went on trips, and and all that. We never lost uh, connection with uh, with France. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, um, the war started uh, with um, with the natives, and uh, it lasted seven years. And eventually, um, uh, the French government, or the Gaulle uh, leadership, um, got enough of um, um, having people killed there. So they they pull out, and uh, who pay the prices? Us poor buggers from uh, who have lived there um, for so long. Um, then we came back to. Um, Came back to France. Uh, we didn't want to stay under uh, Sharia laws. Yeah. <laughs> that story is the same thing. It was yeah. 50 years yeah. ago. All those crimes that you see, that you see yeah. they were not invented now. We had the same thing there. So, anyways, it was a sad story. So, we came back to, um, um, to France and um, my wife was a civil servant, so she was given a, a, a job in Epinal in the eastern part of uh, France. So I follow up there and um, and um, um, started looking for job for uh, one reason. Things was more likely would have taken us back to the south. But then I stopped because my brother had come to Canada. Right away after we left Algeria, he just transited in France for one month, and then, then he was in Quebec, and so my cousins and so on. So I said, I'm not going to stay stay here, and we were not that well treated too. Eh? And um, when people recognize our accent, then we had a sort of an accent there. You know, they made it know that uh, you were not welcome there. Mm -hmm. So, anyways. I thought um, if I gotta be treated like a stranger in my own country, then I I go abroad. To be a stranger, I will go abroad. And, and so so I came. And um, so my wife took a leave of absence for three years, and and um, we came. And, and that was what year? That was in uh, 60, 63. Okay, so then sixty-three. Sixty-two. Left Algeria, 62, arrived in Quebec, 63, arrived in Niagara, 64. Okay, yeah. so in 64, you get the job in 64, or you get the job in 65? Um, at, at Shadowgate? Yeah. I got the job in, in uh, 64, I think it, 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 it was. I stayed six months in Quebec. Okay. I, I worked for the liquor board there, but uh, I, I thought they could employ an analogist, you know, and... Well, I was in the cellar and um, working as a laborer. I mean, I want to pay my dues, but 
not forever, you know. <laughs> well, here's, here's one thing that I think you skipped over. Like, we've talked about the timeline, but when did you get into, into enology? When did you start becoming fascinated with the vines? Oh, well, we, um, um, our family uh, uh, always been in the um, uh, wine, uh, um, in the wine business or grape business. Actually, the, the first of my ancestors came in Algeria in, um, in 1840. He was a, a, a wine merchant in, uh, in, in Bordeaux because his wife was from Bordeaux. So, but he was a guy from Paris, from around Paris. And he came to Algeria in 1840 and then they planted grapes there, and, uh, and then his, uh, his son, which was my uh, great-grandfather, he expanded theirs. They had something like uh, 80 hectares. They were pretty rich, and they had their own, um, their own uh, cellars, and, uh, you know, in Algeria, we always had the co-ops. We sort of invented the co-ops, but no, he had his own... Uh, his own cellar, and things were going good at times and not so good uh, at that times. My my mother was telling me that uh, one year she saw her grandfather uh, uh, emptying the tanks into the gutters, going to uh, oh. yeah. I can't. Uh, a new that. crop was coming, and uh, you mean know, tanks, and, and uh, maybe the wine wasn't good. That I, I don't know, but. She, she saw it herself uh, that he was, uh, and then they, they had a son uh, uh, who got killed in the First World War, and um, so they, he got sort of uh, discouraged because he's, uh, he was the one uh, running running the show at a young age, but, you know, they put you to work there at 15. Yeah. <laughs> so at 20, you are uh, an old-timer already, you know. Yeah. And uh, so they started to let it go. They, they sold it. And my grandfather, instead of picking up all that thing, he wanted to create his own, his own vineyard. So he created his, his own vineyard. So... Um, so there, I, I got confused. I, I, um, so you were you were growing grapes in Algeria. Oh yeah. Okay, so you yeah. were growing and making wine. Uh, uh, well, making wine because I went to an agricultural school. Okay. And uh, then from the agricultural school, I went to uh, Dijon, the University of Dijon, to become a, a winemaker, an enologist, and so. When I went back after the military service, which I served for uh, 28 months, I went back to Algeria and I got a job with the, the co-op there, which was a large, very large company. Uh, um, they were making about 90,000 hectoliters, so it oh. was a, a large, uh, and I was 23 years old. <laughs> what kind of wines were they making? Oh, it's just uh, wine which ended up in, in France to blend with French wines. So red, uh, red, 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 red. rosé and, and white, you know. And all the same, all the tanks, we, we used to assemble them and yeah. put them at the same uh, uh, alcohol, uh, <laughs> uh, so, alcohol level. And, um, ben, how old were you when your grandfather started taking you into his vineyards. Then I was uh, 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 raised uh, every vacation, every weekend, I always spent it on the farm with, with my uh, grandparents. And I don't know, I was five years old, or oh, wow. three years old. All right, so by the time that Just you... like riding horses, I, I was five years old, I was riding an Arabian, you know. <laughs> No wonder today I got Arabian. three Arabians, yeah, and yeah. I rode until I was seventy-five. Now, now I stop. So, so let's let's fast forward, I guess, a bit. So you started five walking the vineyards. 
Now you get to Shadow Gay. How long have you been an enologist? Oh, um, before I, like well, you walk into Shadow Gay. At the co-op there, I started in '56, and um, we um, we stayed there into '62. So that's um, eight eight years. Okay, yeah. so eight years, and then so you're eight years an enologist. Yeah, you walk into Shadow Bay. Plus, I helped some guys in Burgundy when we came back. Okay. You know. and uh, yeah, when I was Shadow Bay, I was already uh, um, uh, a professional. Yeah, so you've got plenty of, of experience under your belt. Oh, yeah. and you stay with Shadow Bay yeah. for how long? Fifteen years. Fifteen years, yeah. and then you say, "I've got to get out." So I'm just bringing yeah. us back to where we were. Yeah. So. Then you say, I'm out of here because you guys don't see the future. Yeah, not only this, but then Gay was a sort of a family affair before, a large family affair, family affair. Um, uh, and um, then they sold to Labatz. Okay. Labatz, Labatz took over. One day they, they went to Mr. Comrie and uh, say, uh, in his office and said, uh, Mr. Conway, we're here to, uh, to um, inform you that um, you don't own your company anymore. They had gone and bought the shareholders, you see. Oh, well, <laughs> okay, so it was a, a hostile takeover more or less. Yeah, hostile. Okay. So now you leave and you start uh, Shadow to Charm in yeah. what year? And, um, well, um, we started... Uh, Shadow de Charme in '76. We bought the farm. Wow. And we got the, trying to get the license. And in '78, we started making wine. What's your first What's your first grape in the ground? What's your first vine? '78. What kind of What grape is it? What's your first one that goes in the ground? Well, it was Pinot Noir, it was uh, uh, Riesling, Chardonnay. Uh, the Cabernets I started only later, um, well later, uh, maybe in 82, well okay. yeah, 82 I planted here with, with Cabernet. Uh, so it was mainly the uh, Burgundian uh, uh, varieties. I thought they, they would um, ripen better here and, and so on, and actually they ripen better here than in Burgundy. Okay. You have. You have a, there is a quote for you. Yeah, you have more <laughs> more problems maybe than in Burgundy. You have to to pay more attention to what you're doing. But but um, under normal condition, they do ripen better here than they they ripen in Burgundy. There is no problem to uh, bring the Chardonnay to 24 bricks. Actually, we don't do it anymore. We stay at 23. We like to keep a lot more freshness in it and. But uh, we, 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 we could do that. The Achilles, uh, which is the Cabernet uh, mm -hmm. uh, blend, that, that, that runs around uh, 13 and a half, 14. And so even the Bordeaux varieties um, uh, mature, uh, mature well here under normal condition. So um, we bought uh, that farm and we started in the building uh, not as nice as this one. <laughs> I know my uh, my. We lived in in Ottawa in 1980-89, and my dad tells me the stories of before we moved away. We drove around down here. We stopped at Hillebrand, and we stopped yeah. here. And uh, when did this building that we're sitting in right now? Seventy uh, ninety-four. Okay, so this was. What would the building have looked like in 1989? Well, it was a. Uh, um, uh, a nice building, but a square building today. Today it's our warehouse. We warehouse there. We got a beautiful warehouse. Uh, uh, all air conditioning, uh, um, and uh, we keep the temperature at 12, 13 degrees. So I planted the vineyard, the 60 acres, in two years. 60, 60 acres, acres? Yeah. two years. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> people, they never seen this here. Nah. You know, they were planted, uh, well, maybe I'll put two rows or three rows, maybe okay, five. Okay, so when you planted those 60 acres, how many did uh, did Zeraldo have planted at, in a ceiling? We had none. There we go. There we go. All right. 
So, so you have 60 acres basically on this piece of this yeah. piece of property is is what uh, we're looking at. No, it's on, on okay. Creek Road. Okay, so that's on Creek Road. Yeah. And you still have that vineyard. Oh yeah, yeah. the beautiful Going vineyard. Strong, yeah. Okay, so those not would be just, your not just 60 acres, but at a vine density that was like triple what the conventional wisdom had been, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. it wasn't four or five hundred vines per acre because guys had vineyard rows are 10 or 12 feet apart and and quite a few feet between the uh, between the vines okay but uh, vinifera you want to pack it in you know tighter than, than that more European style and uh, so to plant 60 acres of vinifera that was a first okay nobody had ever planted a commercial vinifera vineyard because as he said guys experimented with two two or three uh, you know, rows or acres. I mean, you know, John Marinissen around the same time, you know, they say, well, you know, John planted Cabernet Sauvignon, the first Cabernet Sauvignon. That might be true. John was growing a lot of other stuff too. Right? Yeah, he had three, four rows. Yeah, yeah and, and that was the first commercial vineyard, and to plant 60 acres of vinifera would have been the equivalent of planting two or three hundred acres. Uh, because just the number of vines yeah. that went in every every row and how compact you know the rows were, so it was a heck of a lot more work uh, and effort than people were used to seeing. Are the vineyards still that dense? Like, is that stuck or that denser? Actually, Even denser. denser now. Okay, yeah. we uh, we started at uh, uh, 2.4 meters, um, 2.45. We were in feet then, so eight feet by um, four feet and uh, and which is 1.2 meter but now we uh, at 90 centimeters by 2.5 so, <laughs> so that vineyard still exists what are the oldest vines uh, the oldest plants you have uh, on that farm well let let's, let's say no, on that farm they, they, that farm has been uh, renewed okay so yeah that farm has been renewed. Um, in its on, my, on my farm here, I started planting in uh, in '82, and we never pulled out any vineyard. It, it's um, the bulk of this uh, farm here. It's '82, '83, and uh, here it would be '92. Uh, okay, so you got ten years on them over there. Yeah. And on your vineyard, what is planted? Same. Uh, Everything. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc. Um, yeah, that's what what it is. Oh, I got a little bit of Arigote, a little bit of uh, of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, what we did is we have several farms. We wanted to plant all those varieties on all the farms in order to compare the performance and. And uh, and the uh, which one makes the best uh, the best wine? So since we're on the topic of, of vines and grapes, you have the only uh, truly Canadian grape growing on your on your farm, which is the Gaminois Droite. How did that it, come about? It's not grown on my farm. It's grown here. Okay, so it's grown. on my farm. We did the research. Like okay. we had five rows. We started with one vine and then uh, and then um, uh, I planted five uh, five rows here for several that's where we patented the thing and and here we planted uh, uh, how much do we have ten acres or five acres I don't know we say about four hectares so yeah, yeah. Give, give her ten, ten acres yeah. ten acres yeah what and uh, and uh, we spun our wheel for a while with this one, but now, uh, now it's coming to uh, to be recognized. Uh, actually, we had the gentleman who installed those casks downstairs. He's taking some back to uh, to France. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I, I know the current vintage, and, and yeah. granted, I haven't been writing as long as Michael, yeah. but I can say that it's yeah. the best that I've tasted but we, in, uh, in this province. I think we can talk about Gamay a bit in, in general because Gamay in the province has a little bit of a buzz to it. Mm -hmm. But you've had Gamay for 
I think, oh, he, I think he's always had gamay, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Oh, yeah, right from, uh, right from the start. So had anybody planted gamay prior to you? Prior anybody. to me? Yeah. I don't know, maybe Penichetti? Prior to you? No, but, uh, you know, a year or two after. Like, he, he, he was for that sort of thing, you know, uh, way back. Did you see the, did you see Gamay being a big thing in the province? Or well, it was a big thing uh, uh, for us because at the time we called it uh, Gamay Beaujolais. Oh, yeah. I... And uh, uh, just the, uh, uh, just the Nouveau, we were making Nouveau through the carbonic maceration process and, and uh, we were selling, we sold up to 4,000 cases of that stuff. So in, 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 uh, in November, uh, you got the grapes in uh, October, and November you saw 4,000 cases, all gone. That's good. And yeah. how long did, the, did that last? Because I know it's only recent well, that you... Well, it lasted, and then they, they started monkeying around. With, they, they, they brought uh, uh, wine from uh, Novello, from Italy, and from South America, not South America, but... Um, Southern part of France, and and which um, they should have never let them do this in, in France. They should have protected the uh, um, the Beaujolais, you see. And uh, so it, it confused people. It confused people, and then uh, you get one that uh, we had to sell it at a good good dollar, uh, the equivalent today of. Uh, Fourteen dollars or fifteen dollars, and you were getting some some uh, wines from uh, France for eight dollars. You know, yeah. it was a competition, uh, uh, not for quality or how much. You know, they were trying to bring to bring the price down all the time, and and then it became that. Well, these are funny wines. Like if we if we um, you know, uh, the King of England. I don't think those wines are not complex enough for me. You know, and and uh, but they good wine. When I go in November in uh, in France, that's all I drink because I know what I'm drinking. I know mm -hmm. what I'm paying. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, so it, it's a mistake to think that um, after Christmas uh, you shouldn't be drinking those wines anymore. You know, it's just like the Rosena. The rosé, well, it is good um, uh, in summer and spring and summer, but where I come from, we we drink rosé all year round, and so the French, mm. like uh, fifty years ago, is not what's happening in France now. Now they they drink twenty five liters uh, uh, per capita a year. Uh, when I left there. It was a barrel, that uh, 250 liters. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody had their own winemaking yeah. facility in the so, basement. So, so these were the wine drinking days, you know. Yeah. And where it, it was a national drink, and um, nobody drank anything else. You were 10 years old. You got your wine like your dad and your granddad. They just put a little water in it to knock it down in, in alcohol. Okay, so, so, I mean, you're talking now about kind of these, these glory days of, of wine drinking, and it sounds like, like it was good wine, but people weren't taking it as serious as some people. And I think people in my age bracket are, are becoming guilty of this, especially when you take a look at the age of some of the sommeliers in Toronto. It's just people are taking it just so... Freaking seriously, yeah, yeah, they, they're serious just like now. a religion for some. But, but but that but that being said, like with my experience with the the wines from Chateau de Charme, and one of the reasons that uh, I love the Gamay is it's not too expensive, but it's a really serious wine. Oh yeah, it is serious. Now you you like how did the we we kind of gone all the way around, but we've talked about the Gamay Duat. Like how did this come to be? Like why did you? take this plant and kind of well, keep keep propagating it if you were working on making Nouveau be, at the time? Be, because uh, um, I had bought some clones in, um, 
and, and all the first farm we planted, uh, the vines came from, uh, from uh, France, at least the first batch. And I had bought some clones, and uh, therefore I was inspecting each clone if one was doing better than, than the other one, you see. And I, I see this uh, one vine in all the, the gamets we planted was growing straight up. So I said, well, that's interesting. It's not a gamay, it's got to be something else. So a couple of years I follow, oh no, it, it was, uh, you know, um, today you could do a DNA on it, but uh, in those days uh, you had to uh, recognize all the characteristics, so you get the book in one hand and then you look at the, uh, at, um, the leaves and the cane, and then I had, um, I had, um, Fisher, right? Ellen Fisher came and identified it and said, yeah, it, it's, um, it's a gamay. So uh, uh, we started, well, it had to be, we had that vine, but one vine is not enough to, to make wine. So we had to plant maybe 100, 100 vines, to, to graft 100 vines. And, and so, you know, before you got grapes at three, four years, and uh, time goes on, and well, you said it's not enough to make wine. You must have. Did you decide that you liked the way the fruit tasted, or what, no, what was I, it? I, I, I like the way the the vine looked. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> because in uh, um, winemaking and uh, grape growing, like we we've done since a lot of uh, a lot of crossing, and. The first thing I, I looked is, would the farmer be happy to grow this? If the, if the vine look uh, weak and he makes the best wine, yeah, nobody wants to. And, and crop one, one, one ton to the acre, who wants to grow this, you know? We're not uh, yet uh, the Rothschilds that could sell you a bottle of wine at whatever price, you know? So you gotta have if you gotta have something new, it's gotta be something better that people haven't seen before. So that's that's a phase first, and then when once you get that, once you get that, you gotta make the wine. So we had situation where uh, we planted two hundred vines. Uh, we have a plot on another farm, and uh, after two three years. So you got three years for the vine to grow, and then two, three years to, uh, to make wine. And uh, you don't like the wine, so you gotta go and pull out all the vines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a tough, uh, but we, we got good crossing. In a few years, uh, we're gonna come up with, uh, with um, excellent things. <laughs> so we're when, gonna when, be taught about. So you, you started this business and you started the, this farm and you you started Chateau de Charme. Well, I, before you ask your next question, I want to hold. Where does the name Chateau de Charme come from? Well, when when uh, when uh, we were in Algeria, I had a uh, uh, a villa on the seaside and was on the cliff. I mean, that's the only thing I regret from. <laughs> from that country is that little villa that we had. And we call it, we give names to, there's no street numbers or anything like this there. So we give names, uh, uh, Villa La Rose, and, uh, and mine was Villa Le Charme. You know? oh, okay. Yeah. So, so when we, uh, I had two partners when we started Chateau de Charme, and uh, Roger, the lawyer, had um, done all the papers for the for the permit, and he said, "Hey boys," he said, uh, um, "We'll have the permit if we could come up with a name." And uh, at the time, the Italian wines were very popular, so one of the partner wasn't too bright. Uh, said, "Well, maybe we call it I forgot Vino de Vino de la Casa or whatever." Roger had no idea in Anglo, you know. He had uh, uh, no no idea what to want to to give. So I said, "Well, I, I don't want to. If we can't find a name that uh, 
we all happy with, uh, then uh, um, we call it Charo de Charles. Just thinking about uh, the villa that I had in, in Algeria. So I asked Roger, I said, can you pronounce Chateau de Charles? Oh, Roger doesn't know one word of French, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he had no problems with it. And Vince, uh, the other partner, had no problem. They could, well, uh, then it sounds good, so be it. Uh, write that down. So how do you spell that? <laughs> it's kind of fate, I guess, is how it happens. Yeah. And yeah, that uh, happened in, in 10 minutes. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't big thinking or research or whatever. It was done over the table on a discussion that we needed a name you know, to have the uh, to have the um, the license. Well, you planted your uh, sixty acres in two years. Yeah. And you had your your partner, so now you have not just yourself to worry about, but your partners to worry about. When did you know the business was going to work? Well, I always thought that uh, I always thought that it was going to work. That we we were going to uh, uh, to to find a way. Uh, actually, I had it done before for Shadow Gay when I came out with Alpenweiss. They they made a, a fortune with that uh, with that wine, and unfortunately, I've never been able to do it for myself. Where where. <laughs> <laughs> where something like this happened, where the fir first year they were projecting, uh, uh, I don't know, 10,000 cases perhaps, and um, they sold 80,000 cases. And, and then I left and they were selling, I don't know, a million cases of that, uh, that thing. But they changed the recipe and, you know, and they screwed it up. And um, always, like the big companies, uh, they do something good, and then instead of trying to improve, you know, they try to stretch it as much as they can, you know, and eventually uh, it left. But uh, anyways, uh, how did I know? Um, by that time, I, I knew Canadians. I said they deserve better than what they have. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, hell, you go and uh, get peaches, they're very good peaches, cherries, uh, uh, strawberries, pears, and the damn uh, uh, um, wine is not worth uh, anything, you know, those, it's not that it was poisonous or anything, like, it's <laughs> not, it wasn't the taste for, for wine, you couldn't call this, uh, you couldn't call this wine. And uh, that's how it changed. And uh, a few years later, it became the law that uh, you could not uh, grow, uh, grow or, or what's uh, that law when it became? Uh, well, it was the VQA uh, Act of 19... Yeah. Uh, it was the Wine Content Act of 1988, uh, which created the, the, the VQA. But it specifically lowered the uh, production of wine from 258 gallons per ton of grapes, uh, which prior to that, you know, that legally sanctioned watering the wine, right? Because you, yep. can't, you can't extract 258 gallons from a ton of grape. It's yep. hard, hard to try to squeeze it. Yeah. The yeah. other, the other thing that. The act All you really want is alcohol. <laughs> in, in 88, it, it abolished uh, La Brusca in table wines. Okay, and you couldn't call it table wine if you used La Brusca, so that okay. did it. You know. And that was what Chateau Gay was using, right? Yeah. yeah. Chateau Gay would have been making their wines with La Brusca at the time. Yeah. Or I guess, period. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, in 88, when that comes about, you're on the cutting edge. Every, You've got every, a lot of grapes was uh, making wine with those La Brusca and, and from one ton of grapes, uh, which uh, um, uh, we made 250 gallons. Well, you should, you can't make more than 160, so, you know, you put 100, uh, 100 gallons of water and sugar in there. 
So the other thing that it did is it raised the blending allowance in ICB wines to 70% import content and knocked the domestic content down to, uh, to 30. So uh, because on the domestic side, bulk import was clearly you know, better than what was uh, being done. So even the uh, what we call today the ICB wines, overnight got a lot lot better, quite quite frankly, because prior to that they were Labrusca based yep. with a very small percentage of, of, of import. Right? The import was, was good stuff, it was Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay. Uh, so that's what it did. So, uh, it's funny to increase, say better. Increase the import content, uh, limit the uh, production to 180 gallons per ton and, and effectively abolish watering, uh, create the VQA, and you know, so you combine all those things and the, the premium end of the industry, the VQA basically gets born at that moment and, and all of a sudden there's a lot more of that type of wine, high quality wine, but but even the entry level wine, the commercial wine, also got got uh, got better. Right? Mm -hmm. So so all of a sudden, people in a very short period of time, you know, oh, uh, you know, Ontario wines are getting better, like fast. That's specifically the reason why the abolition of the Labrusca and the table wine. Now, so ten Labrusca, years after uh, ten years after what we were preaching. Becomes law. Became law. Become law. And well, you're you're and now on the cutting edge because you have sixty plus acres yeah. of all this great mm -hmm. grapes well, that are ten years old. And consider that the preacher, okay, was a voice in the wilderness, right? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, uh, you know we, the president of Bright's Wines started to preach preach this. Okay, my my dad was sort of not viewed as a nobody, but well. Was a farmer with 60 acres of high dude, density vines. He's, he's some dude, and he used to be the winemaker at Shadow Gay, and uh, well, he has views on these things, but you know what? He's only one guy, right? So he, <laughs> you know, they, they weren't, uh, uh, the, 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 the media was paying closer attention to what he was saying than, say, within the powers that be within the, within the, uh, within the so you've been around to see this whole boom and a lot of bust. Yeah, but and you've lived, you've 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 gone through the whole thing goes, to watch uh, it too fast because every day you got a new one. You know, you don't even realize you gotta be like him going to all those meetings to know. You know? Most of uh, way back then, you know, I was known by everybody. I knew everybody. Now I. Who's this guy? He's the one maker to this one. Who is this one? <laughs> so you've saw, you've seen That's a lot. Not just your beef, Dad. I have the same same issue. I mean, uh, a lot of guys running around. Yeah, I I don't even know the guys I haven't met yet. So you've seen a lot of fads going along. You've seen yeah. uh, things come and go. What were the things that have have taken off that you thought? I don't think that's going to go like Syrah. Who knew that Syrah was going to be such a such a boom? If I, if I can't grow it myself, nobody else can. There's a quote. <laughs> so, so you you tried Syrah on the property, and sure. you don't you, you doesn't, it doesn't work for you. Either I got killed in uh, in winter, or uh, before harvest, the grapes got rotten. Okay. So did you see, say, the, the spark, you've always made sparkling wine, not yeah. always, but you, you yeah. when did you start making sparkling wine? Let's oh, start. no, day one. Day one. Okay, yeah, so you started yeah. making sparkling yeah. wine. So did you see it being as big a trend as it is now? Like, it seems everybody is making sparkling well, wine. Well, I, I, I thought it would, uh, but we spawned our wheels for a while, and now it seems uh, it's taking off. Uh, <clears throat> but always... Uh, like in France, it was large consumption of one. Like I said, 250 gallons per capita. So liters. And then I thought that those people uh, uh, drink half of this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's not enough land. 
But if people drank uh, maybe 25 liters, uh, there would be not enough land around. I see the prices of the land. I mean, we paid uh, $5,000 an acre here. <laughs> uh, we bought it from Bright's and uh, Arnold. This, um, well, Roger says I won't say anything else, but he thought he screwed me by selling that uh, land for $5,000 an acre. The guy across the street there, he bought a piece of land and he, he, he paid $40,000 an acre. Well, so. yeah. I, I just talked to Hernda this morning and he tells me the land down there, about 20000 an acre. Yeah, so that means it's uh, it's doubled within within a decade. Cause that, that used to oh, be, more than double. That, that used to be sort of the, the rule of rule of thumb. Yeah, down here, last uh, thing when, when I look into it, it was $7,000. seven to seven to 10, right? And now he's saying it's uh, 20. And yeah. no, what my dad referred to is that piece you see, you know, next door to Paul Bosco State across the road for the St. David's Bench. So 1987, the land here on the bench was 5,000 an acre. And in 2015, it was 40. Okay. Well. Yeah, and not as good as as this one. This guy there is going to have major problem, especially you know he pours cement. He's not he's not a a winemaker or grape grower. You know, he's going to have real problem at some point. It might. Uh, there is a sort of a creek going right through, but you know how do you go and go through a creek when uh, when it rains so much and you gotta spray your grapes? You know, I think this is, does make a bit of a, a good segue. Like, like we've now seen Chateau de Charm has been established. You have a beautiful facility, and I know yeah. you just expanded your uh, your your barrel cellar. And uh, where do you see the uh, the industry going? for the, the future, like the cost of land is now much higher here. Uh, and I mean, given the situation that we have with the LCBO and needing to produce certain amounts to get the listings outside of your, your wineries. Well, but they're not going to be the only one now. you got the food stores and <clears throat> so that's going to give a boost. Do you, uh, where do you see the industry going in the future? Like, do we see this, do we see, is there more room down here for a lot uh, well, more? Well, uh, we, we believe in it. Uh, we, we invested uh, this year quite a lot of money. Those uh, casks, they, they, they're worth what, 30000 a piece? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. This isn't the, the new barrel seller. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. And uh, the construction is more more expensive, so um, I don't know. I, I think there is a there is a future, but we'll have to better our uh, prices. Uh, it's pretty tight in terms of uh, in terms of uh, <coughs> profit. So for people like us, um, um, we manage well because uh, we're the owner of the company. We don't have to pay any dividend to anybody. So if, uh, if uh, as long as we meet our obligation and uh, there is some left, uh, then, uh, then we're okay. Uh, but uh, somebody who would start a winery, what, uh, he got to pay some um, shareholders, and, going to be tough unless you as large as uh, uh, Peller Estate or, or Vancor. That's the way, that's the way I see it. <coughs> a, a real silver lining to the price of land, you know, going, uh, going up is the, uh, the cost of entry goes, you know, goes up. Okay. So, um, yeah. now if, if you were somebody that uh, you know had hoped to sort of do it on a shoestring, you know, up to this point, you've had that opportunity, uh, and and um, and you know some some people have had the passion 
and and have worked have worked hard to you know pull themselves pull themselves up from sort of a very humble situation. Uh, but let's face the facts: uh, a lot of um, a lot of those operations, uh, uh, you know, haven't been able to meet the quality challenge, and and so the quality is not, you know, not uh, not 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 there. Uh, their their attraction is not attractive to to visitors. So mm -hmm. the the image the image for the industry, you know, uh, suffers. So. Um, you know, the with a higher cost of entry, um, more more serious, well financed people only will be able to to go uh, you know to go to go in, and uh, um, you know, up to now there have been situations where you know there's new guys like well, let's say you know a, a name like a Taz or something. And, and so you we you know you you would differentiate between the new players and say wow here's a here's an exciting new player and but not so exciting over over here uh, I think it'll be to the to the benefit of the industry if if the entry level is more like you know sort of when somebody like Taz was 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 new right because generally speaking. Uh, you know, those that have done the best are are those that have produced the best wine, and those that have made the investments in in viticulture and investments in facilities, and um, that's a fact. You know, that's 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 a fact. So, if the if, that, if it's going to raise the bar, uh, that's to the benefit of the uh, of the industry, because right. You know, right right now you've got many many wineries for for sale, right? Uh, uh, you know, you look at the situation that's unfolding at Lely, mm -hmm. for instance, right? And uh, so, how is that good for the Ontario you know Ontario wine wine industry? Well, I mean, talking about the situation at at Lely too, like you need to have some mechanisms in place to protect the industry as it is now. And granted, there's a lot of rumors swirling around that place, but you have a winery that had a pristine reputation that sold to an, an ice wine only producer. And granted, ice wine has a great reputation, but let's face it, the people who are, are really working in the industry are pushing towards making table wines and good proper table wines. But, but lately, wasn't an ice wine house, so it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a huge swing. From what they did, it, it is. But do we need some mechanism in place to help protect the industries that are working their way up and have pulled themselves up from humble beginnings? Well, um, uh, you know, ec ec economics is that is that mechanism, right? Economics is that is that me mechanism. Uh, uh, you've got to be very serious about what's about to happen if you're about to sign a check that, that you know the land costs you forty thousand an acre. You you better be serious because. Then it's going to cost you another thirty or forty to actually plant the vineyard, and then, and then a decent winery is going to cost you many, many millions, right? So, yeah. the you know, so you better you better be serious. You better be serious. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I I always remember uh, a professor when I was in agricultural school. Who said once, said, "Gentlemen." In this business, you gotta be rich. So I say, well, we're just farmers. Why well, we have to be rich? We're not rich. You're not rich. You're not going to make it. <laughs> Heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> and and, gen and generally speaking, he's he's right. It's uh, you know the the most you know say what you will about you know Taz, Stratus, you know those guys, but uh, there hasn't been. To my recollection, a, a, a failure among, you know, enterprises that, you know, entered the industry at a certain level. Mm -hmm. Okay, the same cannot be said at the at a level at a level you know below. Okay, mm -hmm. there's there's few guys that have 
pull themselves out from those extremely uh, humble origins, but many, many, many have either failed, flat out failed, or are are holding holding on by, you know, by trend. <laughs> so you've been at this in Ontario on your own for I'm saying 40 years. That's what my math comes yeah, up yeah. to. So for 40 years. So here's a tough question. Do you have any regret in that 40 years? You wish you had planted this, you wish you had bought more land, you wish, is there a... Well, I wish I would have bought more land, uh, uh, but uh, you know, when I had uh, 310 acres of land, I said, how much do you want, you know? But I could have the opportunity to, to buy the land behind me there, uh, got bought by the McCain at one time, and, and uh, in fact, I didn't buy it because I was in France and the guy had sold it to uh, to McCain, but the guy wasn't coming with the dough. So uh, um, he asked me again if I wanted that. So they called me in France and said, listen, I'm not going to make the decision from uh, from Montpellier. i got to come back <laughs> home and then, and then we'll see. And when I come back, the guy had come up with a check. So... Uh, the land was gone. But so how many acres does Chateau de Charme have under vine right now? Um, well, we got only uh, maybe 20 acres um, that we're going to plant. I called Casper you know, yesterday to give me an estimate. What did I say it was? It was uh, 11 plus... Uh, yeah, about 20, 20 acres. Our total, our total vineyard acreage... Uh, of 230? Yeah, 230, 240, we planted, you know, what, yeah. eight, seven, eight acres this summer. So. Yeah. 230, 240. Yeah. So, and then, and then the flip side, what do you think your biggest successes were? Because I, I say successes because I, I don't know if you can come up with just one. I, I can think of a lot, but what is your biggest success or successes that you... Yeah, well, I don't uh, look at it this way. I mean, it's uh, things have been... Uh, well, building the chateau, that, that's a very pleasing. You know? <laughs> uh, building the new cellar, expanding. Um, a lot of the people that you've seen who started 10, 15 years ago, the winery is the same as it was then. Uh, you don't see much progress. At, at least uh, here we have progressed. Uh, uh, Pretty well uh, every year we did we did something. Um, one thing is um, uh, we um, we have so many visitors coming here, and uh, <coughs> three hundred feet away it's not the same for the neighbors. So we must have have done something uh, which puts um, us there for good. <laughs> Like a lot of people try to buy land around here because they they see the abstraction here and and uh, people will go from here to there to there. That, that's not the case. Uh, they they come to Chateau de Charme uh, as a destination, not uh, drive on the road. Oops, uh, we missed that sign there. Let's go back and see who is there. No, it doesn't happen this way. All the people coming here. Uh, uh, want to visit Shadow de Sham, so they either heard um, about a way of doing things or wine, and <coughs> and um, so that's very pleasing when you see you attract so many, so many people. You know, um, what else? Favorite wine you've ever made? There's a dirty question. Uh, I know they're all supposed to be your children. <laughs> But there's got to be something that sticks in your head as, you know, if I, that's the wine that, if I want to be remembered for one wine that I made, that's the one I made. You mean going back years? Any, sure, any, any year you like. Wow, that's a tough question. You know, it's just like saying which one of your kids you like best, you know. Well, right now it's Paul. Yeah, well, I'm not too sure. <laughs> Appear that way. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. We made some uh, um, pretty good uh, 
wine, even in, uh, when was this, in 82, when we were in England and we were on TV, and the other guys had, uh, had, um, that fell completely, we were the only, only one um, um, who had been praised. Remember John, uh, uh, John uh, Inslick, or no, what was his name? Lindsay. Lindsay. Yeah, he had arranged uh, um, a show in, uh, in London, England, and all the big guns, they were there. And on TV, the thing uh, it came on TV, and only Shadow Desham wine was coming up. Uh, uh, Brights had sent their uh, uh, Pinot Champagne, and it was <laughs> this Englishman said, oh, this Pinot, <laughs> terrible, terrible. And then the skeleton was knocked down, and, and they thought that we had paid off those guys. They were starting saying, oh, they bought them out, you know, uh, like if you buy the big guns of, uh, of, of England. Yeah. That that was uh, and uh, the same uh, the same Pinot got uh, Pinot Noir got um, served at uh, Regan and uh, and Mulroney. That was uh, that was a good wine yeah. when when they Shamrock Summit. Yeah. Uh, what vintage would that have been? Eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yeah. So early on we had it good good wines good right success. from the beginning. We well, had that. That was that was the best yeah. vintage that we. We're fortunate enough to work with up to that point, right? I mean, 78, 79, 80, 80, 81, 80 in the fifth year, 82, was uh, a year like to, you know today we would talk about, you know, 2012 or 2000, you know, 10, 2002. At the time we didn't know it, but the, you know that was a really, really good vintage, and we we took good advantage of it, even though the vines were. Still pretty, still pretty young. I also just and, uh, learned. Now, now what I'm very pleased with is the way we uh, um, we do with our Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it's been two, three years in a row now that we have constant, uh, we constant have the same, the same sort of quality and and, and and something that I'm looking for. You see, lucky. I like to drink the wine. I love that wine. I, I used to live around the corner yeah. from uh, the retail store in in Toronto, and it was just it was dangerous having that store so close yeah. to my house because it would literally be a, a two minute walk from my house to the store. I, I also <laughs> just recently learned that um, I did a, a recent article on the All Canadian Wine Championships. You won the first year of the All Canadian Wine Championships. You're um, Riesling. That's what I, that's what the. Brian Bannon, I think, is the guy's name. He remembers you winning the yeah. first year. Yeah, we we had a lot of uh, a, a lot of success over the years. Uh, this is what when you ask that question, I was thinking. Yeah, just a favorite uh, wine. This, so 80, 82 would 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 go back there as. Uh, Eighty two, that uh, that Pinot Noir. Not only in England, we were praised uh, by. Um, I don't know what the big gun of the, those. Oh, uh, Hugh Johnson, those, those, Edwin, Edward Penning Roswell, uh, you know, five or six British wine critics. Of, of yeah, on TV. And uh, and we were watching TV here in Toronto. Yeah, a, a young, a pretty young Jancis Robinson was there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 it, it was, uh, and I was the only, only guy praised. <laughs> With our Chardonnay, and we're making pretty good Chardonnay in those days too. Still making good Chardonnay. Yes, yeah. yeah, sir. So, so uh, can't complain there. Yeah, and and, uh, and but now this um, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, I'm I'm very happy the way it turned out. I hope this year will be the same. And what do you in think? In fact, we're thinking of planting more. Oh, and what do you think of the this vintage? But a very hot, dry one. They were in the well, summer of 2016. Uh, uh, Miguel was telling me, he said, uh, the berries filling up. I said, uh, Amelie told me, like I drove around. I, um, I don't walk through the vineyard. I had very serious uh, health problem. In fact, I, I got a transplant, kidney transplant. Mm. Well. So uh, I, I got to watch where, what I do because uh, 
you know, you could uh, fall or whatever, and I'm doing extremely well. Uh, I was the oldest. I always liked to to have a record somewhere. I was the oldest kidney transplant that they did that. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? 81. Very good. At St. Joseph. Uh, uh, that was, they were trying to find a, a guy in, in, in good shape. You know, say, for your age, you're in extremely good, uh, extremely good shape. <coughs> Beside the, the heart problems that I had, uh, I'd say my heart wasn't affected. It had to put stent to open the, uh, you know, it, it pumps out. Uh, 60%, 65%, which is the optimum. Hmm. Uh, so, anyways, I had, so I don't walk by myself anymore up and down the roads where I could drive and drive. <coughs> and I, I look at it, but I thought I, uh, we, had a, we had a good crop. It's probably some uh, vines in, in June. We had uh, a very dry uh, June and they didn't make the growth. So we had to knock down uh, two-thirds of the crop, you know. They got a small vine, still mm -hmm. could produce, still could, uh, um, uh, still could uh, produce good grapes, but you can't produce uh, tons of grapes, you know. Not, not, with, no, not with no rain. Yeah, no. one bunch, one shoot, you know. Wow. One shoot, one bunch, it's not two or three bunches on it. We, which we never left uh, three bunches. The maximum, a full shoot maximum would be two bunches. Well, I, I don't know about you, Andre, but I really did find that enthralling. Sitting there with him, I was totally enthralled with all his stories, and I got a really uh, crick in my neck listening because nobody, I don't know if anybody knows this, or if you could tell, but Paul Boss Jr. was actually behind us, so every time he spoke, I had a whip around my neck. I got a crick in it, but I love <laughs> listening to all those stories. It was just crazy to kind of get off the cuff. Uh, and, and I mean, once again, just like our conversation with Donald Zeraldo, the conversation kept going after the tape stopped rolling. Uh, I mean, it was just hard to condense those stories down into a podcast format, but I'm so glad we got a chance to uh, sit down with them. Yeah, and I, I don't know who we're going to sit down with next, but... They're, I think they're always exciting, and, and we learn so much, and they never go in the direction we expect them no, to go, <laughs> but, but uh, what we end up with, uh, I, I, I hope the audience really enjoys it. Well, just remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and uh, leave feedback, leave a rating, tell us how much you love it. Yeah, you can do it right on, uh, on Facebook as well. I'm Michael Pincus this time, from michaelpincuswinereview.com. I'm Andre Pru from andrewinereview.ca, and good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.